So, is the church judgmental? Now, I'm going to, be try, I'm going to try and be fair as we examine this question. That is, I'm, I'm going to try not to do that kind of politician type of thing, never getting to the answer. And so, I'm going to do something slightly different. I'm going to begin with, I think, what is the answer, and then try to substantiate that answer uh, as we go through and look at this passage together. So is the church judgmental? That's the question. The answer, I think it would be fair to say, is this. It was, it is, and it always will be, to a degree. Of course, this is a common smear, isn't it? Uh, Used against the church. Often employed in that kind of dismissive, quick-fire way that people say, Oh, the church is judgment. I don't want anything to do with them and to, with Christians and what the Bible teaches and so on. Well, I'm assuming by the fact that you're here today that you don't want to take that kind of dismissive, unthinking path. I, I guess by the fact you're here, I assume you actually want to come and examine. I, I want you to kind of come to some kind of conclusions with a humble heart and say, is that really true? And to do so, I guess we'll need to define terms Uh, So we are clear. I guess we also need to be open to examine not only the church, you know, nitpicking through, but also maybe ourselves too, and the world around us as well. But did you notice in the passage we just heard read, Jesus isn't trying to soften the blow with his followers that he's speaking to here, the church that you might describe him today. Uh, He isn't trying to cover up, is he? Rather, you see, hand in hand with the smear of being judgmental is the critique of being Hypocritical, we see also in verse 5. Do you see that? The judgmental person here is also the, the hypocrite. We'll see why later and how they fit together. But is the church judgmental? I have to admit, sadly, yes it is. To a degree. But let me ask you, if, if I may, as we begin, are you? Are you judgmental? Are you really, really, truly, completely in every area of your life tolerant of all? Now, let me give you a few examples if I can, just to press you, if I may. Think about it. You're stood on Earlsfield Station, or the station of your choice on your commute, and someone cuts in on that kind of, you know, the kind of the slightly informal queuing system that you have as you wait for the next train. Someone cuts in. You've been waiting there. You know that you should be the next one in that door, and no, they cut through. You're, you're fine with that, aren't you? Of course you are, because you're tolerant of all and everyone. Now let me just think of a wider picture. What about the celebrity who's perhaps abused their position in society and taken advantage of some younger people? We're seeing that in the news quite a lot, aren't we? Very sadly. Are you tolerant of them, or or do you make a judgment about them? Are you judgmental of them? Oh, let's bring it closer to home. You know, you know the relation? You maybe not have one, and that would be wonderful. But you know the relation who's just critical of you all the time? You know, whatever you wear, whatever you say, they, they make judgments about you. How, how do you respond? Are you completely tolerant? In every area? At all times? I would suggest as a culture we are subject to judgments upon us at every moment. People are critical. People are condemning. One scholar described it as an endemic to modern life. Just think about the headlines in the media. 
They're full of criticism, aren't they? They're full of judgment. Now, many of you know, I, I live next door to a coffee shop. I wake up each morning to the smell of ground coffee and uh, the noise of pressurised steam. Now, but one of the privileges of living next door to a coffee shop is that in, in the summer when people sit outside, uh, you kind of get to hear those surreptitious conversations just as they drift over uh, the hedge as I stand outside my house as uh, people are sipping on their macchiatos or whatever they are. You know what it's like. You know what those conversations are like, don't you? Because you hear them. Maybe you're even part of them. They're littered with this kind of snarky jibes, aren't they? Or the, the biting critique of, of whatever your, your conversation kind of steers towards. See, I would suggest that we are all judgmental to a degree. Aren't we? Funny though, that is what people love, isn't it? Isn't that what we love? We love the opinionated. Those who dare to judge and make opinions and critique others. Think about it for a moment, can you? Across the pond, we've got Donald Trump at the moment. Not necessarily our cup of tea. Yeah, we'll kind of admit that. But he's extraordinarily popular at the moment, isn't he? He's in the race for the Republican candidacy and he is smashing all the opposition around him. People love his opinionated views. His judging of others, even if it has no coherence whatsoever. Have you ever thought about Top Gear? It's amazing, isn't it? It was the most popular television programme in this country for over ten years. Now, was it because they were so tolerant of others? Was it because uh, they lacked opinion and uh, critique? Not at all. They derided, they harshly judged, particularly caravan owners, for years. And obviously we loved it. We are judgmental, we are opinionated, overly critical, and, and in some ways that is the accepted norm, isn't it? But the irony is, I, I don't know if you ever thought about this, in one sphere of life, that kind of critique, that kind of judgment... Well, it's totally unacceptable. Do you see where it is? It's in that area of our, our personal morality. You just can't say anything to anyone, can you, about the way that they choose to live their life. Oh, you can mock and critique and be judgmental about a person's car, a job, their fashion decisions, their political viewpoint, literally anything. But if you dare, if you dare make a comment about how someone lives their life, that is a social faux pas of the highest order. Do you remember the vicar of Dibley? Dawn French, as she was, uh, played the local vicar, didn't she? And she was the undiscerning, the rather indulgently large, bumbling, lovable, cuddly local vicar. And she was so loved. Have you ever thought why? It's because she said nothing to anyone about anything. But that is what we want. That's what people want, isn't it? Particularly of church leaders and churches. It's what we expect in that sphere of our personal kind of morality. No one is to ask anything. I've seen this so often. I've heard of people, not, not necessarily in a church, but, but elsewhere. But someone's having an affair. It's considered a neutral action by so many. And it's a no-go area. You can't comment. No colleague, if they know, will ever question that decision. 
No so-called friend will ever interfere. Why? The spouse doesn't matter. The children, they're just considered collateral damage, aren't they? It's all about the individual. Their moral decision-making. That is the rule. You can't interfere. You can't say. So, if the church isn't to be judgmental, does that mean it needs to just be totally silent? Is that what Jesus is pushing us towards here? We get to our passage, look at it. Verse 1 there, when he says, do not judge. Is that what he's saying? Don't say anything at all, ever. Just turn to the last verse. I'm going to deal with this to begin with, and then we'll go back to verse 1. Look at verse 6, though, for a second. It's an extraordinary verse. We won't spend too long on this, but it's called, a, you might call it an axiom, if you like. It, it's a self-evident true, self-evidently true saying. That will always be true. And look what Jesus is putting there. He's saying, don't throw pearls to pigs. That's one of the things he said. Basically he's saying something is utterly obvious. Why would you? He's saying, come on, be discerning here. With the way that you use your wealth and your material. Be discerning. Have a critical mind. Don't be a simpleton. Elsewhere, Jesus encourages his followers to test and hear what they see, to be critical, so that they won't be deceived. This passage is not suggesting that anyone in the church or anyone should be accepting of all and lacking discernment in every area of their life. So you see, what is Jesus teaching here? What is he teaching the church to be? What is the warning from? And, and have the church listened? Is the church judgmental? Should the church be judgmental? Let's look at the command. In verse 1 there, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Just a little outline on your sheets. I hope that's helpful. We're on there. The point, do not judge there. Now, let's be critical of the terminology that's being used here in the context. When Jesus says, do not judge here, he's condemning in the church and in his followers a judgment that is a kind of very critical, a hypercritical judgment you might describe it as. Let me describe the kind of person who is like this and what Jesus is referring to here. It's the one who delights or is kind of smugly satisfied when they find a fault in someone. You know the kind of person? It's the heart that expects to find a fault in someone and then is slightly disappointed when they don't find that fault in someone. That is the judgmental person here, the one who is judging. And Jesus is, is pointing them out and he's saying, this kind of person will take the things of, of very small importance in life and, and they'll blow them up to make them the major thing in life. For example, very pertinent around here, how you bring your children up. What you feed them, what kind of education you provide for them. Now, hear me right, these are good things, important things, but they are secondary things. Too often people begin to find fault in those that can't meet the standards that you might have arbitrarily set for your children. And you hear comments like this. I mean, really, your, your children don't eat organic? Wow. And it's a judgment. If you're a critical parent, it'll begin with comments about others and how they raise their children, but often it will continue straight into your home. Children of critical parents, they, they begin to flourish as children, but they soon become just, they wilt under the pressure of your perfectionism and your judgmentalism. Now, I'm not saying, again, high standards are important. That's, that's, that's right and appropriate. 
There's nothing wrong with encouraging your children, but the judging tone, the critical coldness, can be very easily transferred. Now, if you haven't got children, don't get me wrong, you're not alone here. Think about it. The same is true if you're a critical manager, if you're a critical boss, if you're a critical co-worker, if you're a critical family member. Do not judge. Are you one of those judgmental type of people? The warning is clear, isn't it? Do not judge or you too will be judged. This is another self-evident truth that Jesus is spelling out here. If you're the, the harsh judging type, now what, what kind of thing do you expect from others around you? If that's you. Likewise, Jesus is pointing further and he's saying, what also do you expect from God? Look at verse 2, it continues and, and points to the fact that we will all be judged by the authority we assume. And look, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Be careful. Now I know that judgment is not a popular subject to talk about. And particularly ultimate, final judgment. We don't like to think that one day all of us are going to have to give an account to the Creator God. But the good news, the good news that Jesus brings is that he has lived a perfect life that we could not. And, and he dies on a cross saying, my perfect life can be counted as yours and, and your imperfect life can be kind of taken on me. And the justice that that deserves can come on me. And, and the good news continues and it says, Jesus rose to offer a new eternal life. Christians are simply those who have trusted that good news. The gospel we call it in the Bible. Uh, simply, our ultimate judgment is taken care of. Jesus is punished for the rebellion and, and for igno the ignoring of God that we deserve. Christians are safe for, with God for eternity in his love. This is our hope, and, and all the work is done by Jesus. And so what is Jesus saying here? The command is less not to judge, more a command to be generous-spirited, as he spells it out in the following verses. Not to be the overly critical. God's the judge. The point is, let God do what he's best at, what he's uh, every right to do. But be warned, if you are a Christian who finds yourself here as the judgmental sort, hear the warning that Jesus lays before you here today. Don't miss out on the heavenly treasures that the previous chapter spoke about. If you're a Christian, yes, you're safe. You're wholly saved by Jesus uh, life, death, and resurrection. His work is all complete. It's all done. But don't miss out on that eternal treasure by being so judgmental now. And if you're here and you would consider yourself not a Christian, can I just say you're super welcome. I hope you understand, though, that the Christian life is not marked by perfection. Rather, it is marked by transformation. As a Christian enters into a relationship with Jesus, we come under a set of like new management. Christians not, should not be the same as we were five years ago. Therefore, the church and Christians in the church, yeah, will be like everyone else. At times, we may even be judgmental, but less than the previous year and less than the two years ago. Not on, not on a road to perfection in this life, but being less judgmental than we were previously. Therefore, Christians should not be those who look down on people and judge them because, first and foremost, 
We ought to humbly recognise that we have been rescued from an ultimate judgement that we deserve and we did nothing. We simply trusted the one who did everything. We're all recipients of that mercy and that grace, that amazing grace that we'll sing of in a short while. And so therefore, Christians ought to be the ones who respond in kind. But we will get it wrong sometimes. We will. We are not perfect and nor are we claiming to be. But does that mean we should say nothing, ever, about anything to anyone? Well, let's look at these last verses, verses 3 and 4, just into verse 5. Look at them. They're very well-known verses, aren't they? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. Jesus isn't saying, be silent without exception. Rather, he's saying, be careful when you do say something to your brother. The warning is clear, isn't it? It's the second point. Do not be a hypocrite. Now, let us just think about the term again. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite, the word actually comes from, uh, it's a stage word, really, for a mask. It's a person who wears a mask, who plays a role, who teaches one thing but lives in a, in a way contrary to what they teach. Therefore, you see again, hypocrisy is not falling short of a standard. Again, the Christian life is not the perfect life, but a life being transformed by Jesus as we, we hear him speak through his word, the Bible. Just because a Christian isn't angelic in every area of life doesn't render them a hypocrite, you see. Hypocrisy is just the trying to cover up. It's saying one thing, doing another. So the opposite of hypocrisy is not perfectionism. The opposite of hypocrisy is authenticity. But sadly, and you will be thinking, I'm sure yourselves, the reality is that is not always true in the church at large around the world. You turn on the TV and you see those Christian preachers who you know, distort the Bible and extort so much money out of people all around the world. And they fly around in their private jets and live the life of millionaires. You see, uh, even very sadly, the, the, the biggest church in the world in Korea, the, the pastor of that a few years back, was in prison for embezzling millions. Think of the church in Ireland, the Catholic church in Ireland particularly, with priests involved in all sorts of scandals with children. It's tragic. It's hypocrisy. And the list could go on. It isn't isolated to the tabloid headlines as well. There are, there are people who have come into churches all around us, even this church, I have no doubt who have at times felt judged, who have been ignored. We are not perfect. We all make mistakes. We've been hypocrites, maybe, at some times. And if that is what you have experienced, particularly here, can I sincerely apologise to you? The picture in verse 3 and 4, as we look at it though, is, is purposefully ridiculous. I mean, have a look at it. One, one guy is tiny little speck in his eye of sawdust. One has a plank. Literally the word is beam. Like a, a roof beam or a log. It's, it's vast. You can't even carry the thing. It's so large. It's 
It's kind of like cartoon-like, really. But this tragedy is all too common. Even in the Bible, with the great King David, probably the, the most known figure in, in the whole of the Bible, apart from Jesus. There he was. He slept with a, a woman named Bathsheba, another man's wife. And to cover up, he got the man killed, Uriah killed. You can read about that in 2 Samuel. And then in the following chapter, Nathan, the prophet of God's people at the time, tells this little parallel story to kind of expose to David who he really was. It's about a man, rich man, abusing his position with this little lamb. And David was furious as he heard this story from Nathan, the prophet. Uh, he points out the fault. He can't see the plank in his... He points out the fault in, through this story. And Nathan simply turned to the most powerful and wealthy man known in the world at that time. He says, you are the man. It's you. Look at the log. Look at the plank. So often we can find ourselves judging others, being critical of others. But have you ever thought that in reality it takes one to know one? It's so much easier to see our own faults in others and to point them out, isn't it? Many would even argue that we do so, we point out the speck because we hate so much the plank in our own eyes. It is a suppressed anger that forces itself out as we point the finger in judgment. I wonder, are you the log touting, the finger pointing, the speck inspecting kind of person? That's for you to answer yourself, I guess. But it is the kind of self-righteousness that Jesus is challenging here. So what are we to do? Well, Jesus says to the church, let's finish with verse 5 here. He says, you hypocrite. He's saying this to the church, to his followers. First take out the plank of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Simply as we finish, I think we just need to be the humble brother. We need to be a brother. We're to humbly look at ourselves. That's what the church ought to be known for. That we humbly self-examine to not be the hypocrites. And we take the plank out of our own eye. Recognising our own shortcomings first. And when that log is removed, that way of life that has been so destructive, so dishonouring to God for all he's done in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens do the Christians then smugly look down their noses and say, ah, look at that, I'm so much better than you now. I've taken this great log out of my eye, look at me. No, authentic Christians should weep for who they have been and long to never be that in the future. But then in that very humble condition... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the, the one who is poor in spirit. That's what the Christian should be. Recognising their own weakness and frailty. Only then in that humble condition, only then might they approach their brother to deal with the speck in their eye. And notice it's a brother. It's not a random stranger saying, look, look what you've done. Look at No, it's a brother, someone you know and love and is close. I once got a shard of metal in my eye. I was cycling along. And something flipped up off the road. And I got a little shard of metal in my eye. Tiny little thing. But my eye went red and it was sensitive to light and it was itchy. It was pretty horrible. And I had an operation to remove it. And it hurt. Lots. What did the surgeon do? They strapped my head down. <coughs> 
which was rather unpleasant. And a nurse was stood there. <clears throat> I didn't understand what she did, to be honest. But all she did was spoke soothing and calming words to me for about ten minutes. I kind of realised what she was doing afterwards. That is, I just needed to be loved. I needed to be calm. Because some mad surgeon was sticking pliers in my eyes, pulling out this bit of metal. He was extraordinarily gifted and skilled. But do you see the point? There is nothing more sensitive than coming to someone and pointing out and removing the speck from their life. It needs to be done in the context of love and relationship and warmth. And Jesus is saying to the Christians here, to the church, be a brother. Don't be cold and pointing the finger, being judgmental. Christians have to be humble, acknowledging their own failings before God and others, and ever so gently, ever so gently, helping those we know and love to be more the people that God longs them to be. So we finish. Is the church judgmental? I'm going to stick by my answer and say, yes, it was, it is, and it always will be, to a degree. Why? Because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. The church is not perfect. We're not claiming to be perfect. But we are humbly aiming to be transformed day by day as we strive to follow God, as we listen to him, lovingly lead us through his word, the Bible. So the church, you see, will always be easy to accuse and say, yes, they're judgmental, but it will always be to a degree and it should be a lesser degree every day. Gandhi once said, I don't reject your Christ, I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Can I say, if you're not a Christian here today, the truth is, we if we are Christians here today, will always disappoint you. But Christ will never. Christians will disappoint you and the church will let you down at times. But Christ will never. Sometimes a Christian friend of yours may be judgmental. They may point the finger and, uh, and seemingly be like that. The church will be judgmental at times, I'm sure, and may be overly critical, but Jesus is lovingly commanding us away from that. And please forgive us when we have been. Please don't walk away from the church and do not walk away from Jesus, whose this church is, just because you've had a bad experience. That Jesus has poor representatives, people like me and your friends here doesn't make Jesus himself defective. He's come for people like you and me. Not perfect people, but simply people who humbly acknowledge him as king, as lord. And humbly acknowledge their imperfection before him. And their need for his perfection. That they can know through faith. Look to Jesus. Why? You want to see what he's like? Look at him hanging on a cross. You can read about this in any history account that you want to, whether it's in the Bible or elsewhere. He's taking on himself all the eternal judgment that I deserve, you deserve, giving his life, his perfect life, as a substitute so that you might know it and receive it through faith. What is Jesus doing at that moment, that cataclysmic moment of all history? What is he doing? 
Is he ranting at the injustice? Is he pointing out the faults in the court and all the kind of the justice that he received? No. Is he judging the onlookers as they sneered at him undeservedly? No. What did he do? He prayed for his enemies and humbly reached out in love to those around him. Can I encourage you, just look to Jesus. Look at his life. Trust his death in your place and rest in the eternal life that he offers you. I've said enough. Um, As I promised, we'll we'll have a time for questions now. Why don't you turn to the person beside you and just think, there may be just something you... I've, I've opened a lot of things I know there. I purposely haven't closed everything off. I know that there will be... People who just want clarification. What, what did you mean by that? Where, where were you going with that? What, what was the question that you have on that? Look, why don't you just turn to the person beside you? You've got two or three minutes. Uh, chat with them. Is there anything you'd like to ask? And if, if you'd like to ask it, then just stick your hand up or you could write it down and, and bring it up. Um, that would be absolutely fine. Maybe two minutes to chat and then we'll do some Q&A. Thank you.